Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Brigadier and his ancestors as he defends the Earth in episode 363. And if you speak Welsh, we apologize now. <laughs> I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Uh, enjoying my new year. Yeah, happy new year. Happy everyone. new year. Did you guys have fun celebrating New Year's? We did. I just hung out with family and played games and had a little wine and toasted the... Uh, New Year at midnight. It was a lot of fun. Nice. What'd you do, Sean? Well, we did uh, kind of much the same. We had uh, just a very low-key, some friends over, and played some rock band, and played uh, some... Uh, I was introduced to Settlers of Catan. Oh, finally! Yeah, which is... I like that one. I, yeah. I put that on my wish list. It's fun. <clears throat> um, and then uh, we played... <clears throat> I know it as presidents and peons, which is the probably more PC version of what we actually wound up playing, uh, which is a card game, and some drinking uh, went on with that. We know. <laughs> yeah, I kind of owe everybody an apology, because apparently I'm a lightweight, and my, my, my three mixed drinks, uh, which were not very strong, and I nursed over the course of probably about eight hours, was enough to uh, put me in the tank the next day. So, yeah, just kind of a, you know. We did watch some movies. What'd you watch? We watched Churchill. That's got Brian Cox as Winston. It was really good. I also watched The Mummy, the remake. The what Tom Cruise one. It was okay. Yeah. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. It could have been better, even with the same elements, if they had written it differently. And then we watched Despicable Me 3. That was a cute one. Yeah, it was cute. We went out and saw Jumanji. How was that? That was a lot of fun. Anything else? No, that was about it. All right, well, we don't have any news or feedback this week, so we'll uh, go ahead and move on to our reviews. Havoc Files 3, 4, 3, what are we at? 4. four. I, I will happily talk about 3 some more if you want. <laughs> There's one really, really good story in 3. Loskin 2? No, not that oh. one. <laughs> Although that one's not too bad. Strange goings on. Could use a stronger ending. <laughs> <laughs> could have used an ending. Could have used an ending. <laughs> It's Andy. getting one to be fair. It's getting one to be not, fair. Not to call out the author, Andy. Uh, He's having... making a novella. What more can you want? Now? It's soon. Not I have think to wait. April, right, is when they're shooting for us? I, I remember so. that right? Yeah. So maybe maybe you don't understand how it works over here in America, buddy. We're all about the instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to wait for these things. I don't want to enjoy the journey. I just want to get to the end. <laughs> in fact, I might just read the last page first when it comes in. Just cause. Just cause. <laughs> just out of spite. Sorry, go ahead. I'm done. Havoc Files 4. Strange goings on in a small English village. Training for new members of the 5th Operational Corps. And the two brigadiers meeting up to take on the most notorious aliens in the galaxy. Lethbridge Stewart encounters a unicorn in Linfield, and Travers and Bill Bishop go on their first official date. Just some of the strange tales that make up Havoc 4, which features five brand new short stories, including one by Wink Taylor, who has written for both Sooty and Basil and the B Brush. Sooty, Sooty and Basil the Brush. Plus four stories previously only available in digital format, including one by popular author Nick Walters. Woohoo! <laughs> it's 
that's, that's our new rating system. We've gone away from bump, bump, bump. <laughs> so we've gone to woohoo. No, we haven't. Oh, I liked it. <laughs> well, it's certainly better than dun dun dun, I suppose. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, there are some of these that we uh, have obviously reviewed, so we'll step through the book and do the ones we haven't. The Contented Mind. By Wink Taylor. Yes. I love that name, Wink. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Uh, it, it's it's nice to see the brig having after effects from the traumatic events of the London events and Forgotten Sun. Yeah, this is the one where you keep seeing the specter, right? He pretty after, much is uh, dealing with a little bit of PTSD after mm-hmm. uh, Pendleton. Is that his name? Yes. After Pendleton. his death. old Spence. Yeah. Yeah, I quite liked it too. Um, I. It took me a little while to, even though I had read that it takes place uh, right before the Forgotten Sun, it took me a little bit after, right? uh, or after. I'm sorry, after. Yeah, yeah, epilogue. uh, Even though it still took me a little bit because I've been so used to, from our perspective, present day (laughs) Brigadier, that sometimes when you do these short stories, you have to realize, okay, well, we've either jumped forward in time or we've jumped back in time. And then rack your brain to try to remember what happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That was the biggest challenge, was casting my mind back and going, okay, we were here and here and this happened. Okay, yeah. But it took me probably, I, I was midway through the story going, oh, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's just... I, I, took, I, I kind of felt that the, the uh, author, uh, Wink Taylor, <laughs> I was just going to say Wink Taylor because <laughs> I like the name Wink. Uh, I thought he did a good job, though, kind of like hand-holding you through the, yeah. the memories so that you, oh, could, yeah. you could kind of help you recall a lot of what, what had happened uh, in that. But, yeah, no, it was uh, – I, I really quite enjoyed this one. Um, I like – not, not being able to – starting to find the words – at the at the eulogy, yeah, and then kind nice of moment. losing it a bit, and but then, and and Lethbridge Stewart really feeling like he kind of mucked the whole thing up, only to get that nice little message from uh, Pemberton's uh, widow afterwards. I think, which I thought was really cool, and then the tie back to the book that he was referring to that uh, yeah. that he had given him, so or had shown him. I, I like the fact that kind of like the Christmas story that we read, the case of the missing fairy. This is one of the ones where. There really isn't an alien influence. It's just kind of dealing with what's happening in life, and he's just remembering the alien influence. Yet, it still leaves it open enough that it could have been the intelligence trying to influence him somehow. So it's kind of, it does both at the same time, I thought, which I really liked. I can see that. I didn't think that. <laughs> I think that at the time, but I can, I can see that. I can see it. I didn't think it either. I just thought it was, you know, just kind of cool. So 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 frequently in in television or movies, you you don't get the wrap up. Yeah, you know it's like, and then we save the world. What happens the next day? Nothing. That's the end. We save the world. And so this was kind of a no. Here's the next day. Here's the next couple of days. Here's the cleanup. Especially when there's losses to, right. to cope with. <clears throat> and, and we get way, the eighties comedy dra- drama freeze frame at the end. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, it was too nice too to get um, in a kind of weird way to. It, I felt like I know. Spence better now. Yeah. You know, I think the, so the, too, the, yeah. The, he's, he's kind of been very central 
and yet so far removed from the action of the books. Um, but he's he's obviously a, a very important figure in, in the Briggs life. And so it was kind of nice to get some more background information on him as well. It's true. And we go back to days of uh, Sally and the Briggs still together, <laughs> which is a bit awkward. No. <laughs> that Honestly, that was the most jarring and the most definitive Okay, now I know where I'm at. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly helps you put your thumb on it. Sally went and did the, what? Oh, okay. Still together. Yep. Anything else on the contented I don't think so. I think that was, it was a a pretty short short story, too. There's not a lot going on. Less than 20 pages, so. Uh, next one in the book is a run by Balm with, with, uh, by Nick Walters, which we have reviewed on this show. Yes. So then we move on. United in Blood. Who wrote that one, Glenn? That one was written by Mark Jones. And it's set shortly before the novel The Night of the Intelligence. Sean, you want to start? I don't think I read this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I skipped this one thinking we had already reviewed it. Have we not? <laughs> no, we hadn't reviewed no, we this hadn't. one. Oh. This was one that... It's... I didn't read it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> This is the well, one. Well, good. Where, I have more book to read. Now this, I'm excited. This is the one, um, just for memory recall, this is the one where he, he's visiting an old friend that owns the bar. Yes. And there's fights have been happening at the bar, and people have, it's kind of turned people off. Oh, wait. No, I did read this. Although one. you get the impression, sort of, that, well, you don't get the impression. You find out later that fights are, the tension in fights are happening because other of places as well. Flower. Right. But yeah, it's the plant. Okay. The plant. Yeah, no, I did yeah. I did read this yeah. one. Okay. Yeah, uh, I like this one. And uh, <laughs> he goes to the he, he goes to the town historian and buys him a few drinks in order to get some. Yeah. Which I think was a clever way to kind of convey some of that backstory and not only to fill Lethbridge Stewart in on what has transpired in this town in the past, but also to uh, inform the reader on what the background of this to fill in the backstory. Well, and it's a it's a great use of location because it's very much a pub thing mm-hmm. that there's that guy that would be mm-hmm. hanging out who is the local authority on and everything. has a favorite beverage as opposed to the info dump that could come from the friend who runs the bar or right. the, you know and it's like oh no so it's it's not necessarily that important but it's a little bit of world building it's a nice little piece of the puzzle that just kind of sits in and it really adds that detail layer and as they say the devil's in the details it just kind of goes oh okay Literally. and it's nice that <laughs> yeah well in this case too um it's also nice that he then shows up later at the uh Football game. The pitch. I was going to say soccer. <laughs> was it rugby or was it football? I think uh, it was, was rugby. Football. Oh, was it football? Okay. It was football. Pretty sure it was football. It was kids, it was kids football. Mm-hmm. At the soccer match. That's right. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Offend every British. Oh, we, have, we haven't even got to the Welsh. <laughs> yeah. This is just wait. Well, but, that'll um, offend the Br- Welsh. <laughs> no, just that, you know, he, he became then this extra character that was able to run around and do things. Um, I felt bad for him, too, when the guy put yeah, you no, Not oh, once, yeah. but twice. Yeah. And he's got, I mean, come on, Basil Archer. <laughs> what a great name. Could there be a more British-sounding fellow? These, it's, these stories tend to be pretty common, I think, with the, with the short stories, and they always make me chuckle where it starts off of the Brigadier on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I always go, uh-oh, oh, something's not going to go right. One of these days we're going to get a short story <laughs> where the Brigadier actually gets a, a day off or a, a vacation or a holiday or something. I just... We're just going to be waiting for something to happen and nothing's going <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> Can you imagine the review? And then on page 27, he does laundry. And it's like, where is the mach- where's the ghost? Where's the haunting? Where's the alien? Where's the- No, he just... 
just has a weekend. The brig has a weekend. A few days off. He went on holiday to Spain. I sort of, I, I worried starting this that there was something about the pub that was going to be nefarious. Oh. Uh, and then when that kind of spreads out, and obviously the people on the pitch, the guys on the pitch that have the red hands, uh, and the boys at the pond, that the restrict puts that together yeah. when they're being a bit aggressive as well and, and, and when they're walking away. Um, and then every, every time the brigadier would go sneak out, and I was like, okay, Part of me feels like he sneak he snuck into the the compound, and part of me thinks, okay, it's necessary to drive the plot that the brigadier would investigate something like this to find the evidence that he needs. But how many how many rule how many laws can you actually break? Because he does that <laughs> later again, I think, in another story. Breaking and entering. That, that, yeah, yeah, that I, I think. Yeah, I guess. You know, you have to have some leeway for bending the rules a bit, breaking the rules a bit, a little bit, the, the laws a little bit, in order to get the information that you need. But uh, you know, the other I, one's that's little, in the back of my mind every time that happens. <laughs> the, the other one I think is a little looser than this one because it's at a friend's house and it was unlocked. Yeah, but, agree. But, yeah, but, but agree. this one is like, wow, no, you're he, just going to like hop a fence off. and <laughs> just well, and then the, on nothing. <laughs> <you know? laughs> And then the one guard guy or whoever it was that works there that starts to attack him and then and then he's fine and walks mm-hmm. off. And I thought and it had me in that moment of, oh gosh, how's you know the brigadier gonna get out Where of this? It's gonna be assault now. Oh, he just forgot. Yeah. <laughs> he just forgets and walks off. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> um I, I like this, the, go ahead. I like the idea of the fact that what's behind it all is this meteorite and the almost seeds of doom type story that's what it made me feel like yeah. mostly was a, a kind of a not really a rehash but kind of it had echoes of seeds of doom variations on a theme mm-hmm. and and then that the fact that they're tweaking and making it a hybrid plant so it kind of takes it beyond seeds of doom and it's big threat of spreading out i think the wrap-up of this one was i think the the, the letdown for me um, we had this mm. great lead up and this kind of action-packed following this lorry to get to this place to stop the spread of it because it's going to this flower show market thing and then everything's just kind of okay we've we've wrapped it up and tie everything up in a little bowl yeah and and that was a bit um it felt well, a bit like we'd written too much yeah and so now yeah. it's like okay we've got to hurry up and wrap this up because we we've hit we've exceeded our page limit because yeah. and so then and then we saved the world i mean that's literally how this one kind of comes across it was like and there was some paperwork, and you know we'll find out what happens later. It's another one of those short stories, and I can't remember the one we talked about before that really felt like this one could have been fleshed out into a longer novel. I was just novel. about to say that. All At of least this, a novella. All of this story could have been fleshed out longer. And so I quite enjoyed the, the ride, but it just, yeah, it just wraps up right really quick at the end. I want to go back real quick to what, I think it's funny you mentioned the pub. I, I, I wonder how much of this... Why is it funny that I mentioned the pub? <laughs> <laughs> that you were thinking that something nefarious was happening. And I, I wonder how much of this is from Nicholas Courtney. Because Nicholas Courtney uh, certainly was no stranger to, to pubs. That was, if he wasn't on set, he was in a pub. That's kind of every documentary and every behind-the-scenes featurette has always talked about. He would go and, and, and have a pint and, and regale everybody with stories. And that's kind of something that has seeped into the character of the Brigadier, I think. And mm-hmm. so anytime there's a pub that shows up, I kind of go the opposite direction. I don't think the pub's nefarious because I think the pub is a safe place. He's always setting up the command post in the pub. He's always... <laughs> Especially since Forgotten Son. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just... And the, the one that really did scare me 
was um, the, the Flaming Soldier when all of a sudden one of the tables bursts into flames in in the pub. And it's like, no, 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 no. The pubs are safe. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's a no-no. But I, I, want, I just wonder how much of that is instinctual subconscious writing from the Nicholas Courtney perspective of who he played the brick as. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I just I, I don't think that's probably the case, but I see what you're saying. I just <laughs> I, 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 it, it may not be, but I, I wonder if there's a, a a hive mind kind of at work that because Nicholas Courtney was known for that, well, obviously the Brig is known for that, and so that's why we continually get pub scenes where he's hanging out in the pub. And, and I think it's because pubs are pretty common. I think that's probably, uh, yeah, probably <laughs> it is very Especially much in, in line the 1960s, with 60s. That was such part. Yeah. That was so much part. I mean, I think it still is, but. Back then, it was so much in the culture, and it's very much part of who he is as 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 a character. Well, he's also, it, it also got a lot of friends and own pubs. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, that's what you do in England. You retire from the army and start a pub, start a pub, <laughs> or teach maths. Yes. See, I, I think he missed his call. I why didn't he? Yeah, why didn't he just <laughs> open a pub? Somewhere? I still don't buy him as a math Maybe teacher. Maybe he did. We don't know what he did after math. Oh. What was he doing? He was transformulating in his next what, short story. What was he doing in Sarah Jane Adventures? He was, re- fully, he was retired. fully retired. He was fully retired at that point. At that point. Yeah. So, uh... but still being called away to Peru for <laughs> <laughs> consulting yes. gigs. Well, even worked for Benton. <laughs> Spoilers. Even, even the Hellfire Club is kind of. At least yeah. a, a, a okay. Now I want alcoholic. Wanna, ex- I, Boy, the brigadier sure does gravitate to pubs. <laughs> not even not just in the Lethbridge Stewart stuff. Everywhere. everywhere. Now, now I totally want to do uh, an alternate. Un- Andy, here's your new thing. This is a freebie. <laughs> I want. I want a whole alternate universe unit story set where the entire cast of unit is basically doing cheers. <laughs> <laughs> And that way you can have Liz and Joe and uh, Benton and uh, and Mike. Yates. And they, they can all work for the brig at the pub. All right. I'd pay money to watch that show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. more, more importantly, I'd pay money to read those books. So <laughs> yes. there you go. That's a freebie. Yeah. I don't know. It just struck me as funny that you went, the, oh, the pub's bad. I was like, no, the pub's never bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only my only complaints about this story is the fact that I think it, it has a grand sta- scale... Uh, formula that I think could have been fleshed out in a longer form, and I think that uh, it just abruptly ends. But mm-hmm. uh, overall, it's a pretty good read. I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And we've got Crew Oil next, but we have already. Uh, That's what we've already read. Harry Dra- uh, is it Draper or Draper? I've Draper? been saying Draper. Dra- Harry Draper. Uh, again, we did uh, review that just a few months back, as a matter of fact. So the next one, Keith. The next one is... I'm trying to pull it up, too. <laughs> All the King's Men All by the Allison Lees. And this story is set shortly before the novella, The Flaming Soldier. Yes. Which we just read. Keith, you want to start this one off? This one... <laughs> kind of the same vein of the last one, the, the Brigadier on vacation and starts investigating. But I like the fact that this was... It was a bit more accidental that he was, he for most of the story, he's along for the ride. He really is, yeah. And then finally kind of gets the, okay, I better go look into this. And then once he does, it kind of moves along pretty quickly as is over. It's it's a really fast-paced book. Or it is fast-paced. Short. 
But doesn't feel like it wraps up immediately. No, it doesn't. Even though unit does sweep in and clean things up. But, or, yeah. the, or the fifth. But there's really no other way to resolve that story. No, there's really not. No. I think it's handled well, too, because uh, obviously he's a bit distraught over his friend. I mean, this is this is a life-changing event for him. I mean, finding out that your newly wed wife is this, you know, nefarious <laughs> person who has been breeding unicorn babies and <laughs> killing people basically every time it got uncovered. So I got the impression that she did she didn't want the guy to kill the first dude, and the things are did kind you? of just yeah, like he went too far to protect him, and. The first person that they killed wasn't meant to be killed, and then things so kind that of what, just escalated. Do you think that's what that? drove her mad, though? Because I mean, I got the impression that she was kind of off the rails there towards the end, even though she hit it very well from her husband and Brigadier. She, she yeah. was she was very much stark raving bonkers, but not in the I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> no, 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 certainly not. She, and and just... it's more in the protecting her interests. Yes, uh, yeah. vain. But she is. She just at the end. She is very. You can tell she's quite a bit off the rails. There. She's golem nuts. Yeah, you know my precious. Yeah, she's she's that kind of. Um, I. This sounded bad. I totally thought she was she was in on it. I, I knew she was the bad guy. Like, I, almost I suspected early on. But my reasoning for thinking that was because I kept waiting for the Bond plot, because I'm reading this going. Well, this is a view to a kill. This is the horse racing with Christopher Walken. And they, they, they've got a, a diode or something in the jockey's crop that they're going to trigger and the horse is going to win the race. And then the horse won the race. And I went, yeah, I got this all figured out. And so the brig goes in and starts investigating. I'm like, this is just like the Bond scene. He's in there and he's in the stables and, you know, he's going to he's gonna find the secret lab and everything. And no, he finds a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> and my whole brain went, <laughs> How ridiculous what? does that sound when you describe that? And it was, I, I, there was no ridiculousness about this story until no. you just said that. And now I think, wow, yeah. I, I had to back up and reread it and go, oh, okay, we're not doing the story I thought we were doing, which is fine. I mean, just, I, I just, unicorn. Yeah, why not? You know. I sort of suspected there must have been something sim- along that lines when they were talking about the cattle mutilation or the animal mutilation, uh, the, I, the 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 scream that they couldn't quite identify what creature. Well, and they it had kept using from. the word gourd. Yeah, gourd. They were yeah. gourd, yes. and I went, "Well, that would be like a bull's horns." Yeah. But it can't be a bull. And I would dismiss it. And I went back to the Bond plot. And then Unicorn. And all of a sudden, it all all the pieces went click, 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 click. Oh. <laughs> so not that that was, you know, I, well done on you, sir, for fool, or, or madam, for fooling me. Because I, yeah, I totally bit the wrong. <laughs> I bet on the wrong horse is what happened to this. So when we got to the Unicorn, then I, I, I had to kind of rewrap my brain around the story and went, okay. And while there was a part of me that was going, really? A unicorn? But it's like, no, this is a Lethbridge-Stewart book. All bets are off. Anything can happen. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. So, and, well, and one of the things I went into it when, when it was revealed to a unicorn, my mind immediately went to a book that I'm unfortunately have put down. I've, I've been in the middle of uh, Cat's Cradle, Witch's Mark, which is one of the new adventures, deals with unicorns and mythical creatures and, and mm-hmm. actually a... a a uh, separate realm that the doctor and ace end up stumbling across kind of like a um, another dimension type thing that's bleeding through to our reality and 
immediately I was like, oh, are we going to tie this to this? And and they don't. But but because they don't, that leaves it open to, well, I know where the unicorn came from, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool, kind of clever. But because um, they don't really explain where the unicorn came from. No. Whatsoever. And they, they don't. I don't remember them really describing the unicorn in too oh, much detail. No, Am I remembering they that didn't, wrong? but it, I, I thought it's... But I got the impression that it wasn't like uh, the standard oh, it's white... Not because the white unicorn that you... It was not a glory unicorn. It was definitely a, whoa, When it's unicorn. said to be in a large <laughs> steel box with chains, I yeah. imagine something much larger than the fantasy unicorns that yes, we imagine. Yes, yes. In in fantasy, it's like if you crossbred a Velociraptor and a Clydesdale. That's kind yeah, of, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> with a horn, with a horn, <laughs> and a narwhal. Uh, <laughs> no, it. Uh, they kind of in her backstory when she talks about uh, there was the noise in the forest or something. So you know, they kind of sort of give that illusion that well, maybe it's alien. Um, right, I, def- I definitely right. got that impression. But they don't. They don't really go there. They yeah. don't really rule out that it's terrestrial. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And of course, of course, in my head canon, since I've already written a fanfic where the Doctor rescued all the unicorns from Earth in the past, it's just one he he missed. <laughs> you know, I, I've already I've already wrecked <laughs> oh, yeah, that. But uh, <laughs> that's canon now. Yeah, it's official. Um, but no, I I I kind of go back. I agree that this the, the the quick wrap up is really the only way you could have gone with it. But I still felt. It, it it felt a little truncated that it was just kind of like for for boom 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 and then all of a sudden bam and we were done and it was like oh and I I, I I've I've mulled this one over well, a little bit and it's like I don't know how you could end it differently. I, I think I really what works don't, for but... this one is that the husband basically is the hero in this because yeah. he stumbles yeah. across uh, Lethbridge Stewart almost being killed by the henchman guy and you know ends up clocking the the guy and then. They go back to the house because he thinks that the brigadier, if he if she discovers the henchman knocked out, she's going to assume he went to the police. So they, you know, wisely go back to the house. And so to me, that was the resolution that that, that there was what wraps the plot up is the fact that he rescues the brigadier from certain death. And so yeah, that's kind of the climax. And the so, rest of yeah, yeah. So the rest so. of it is just clean up. So I, that to me, that's why I don't feel like it, well, it, I, I think it, it helps ended abruptly. Also, that. It's all at the same setting, whereas the last one, yeah, for the yeah. Cl- for the very end, we go to a th- new location. The third act, you really feel like which you is have gone a, out longer. Yes, now. exactly. Agreed. I think that's the major difference. I would agree. I'll buy that. It's uh, yeah, it's this one. Uh, this was probably one of my favorites in the in the, in the whole book. I would agree. Uh, with that. I quite enjoyed it was this. Really one good. A lot. All right, the next one, Keith. The Great Magician and the Spirits of the Vasty Deep by Gareth Madwick. This is also, this is shot shortly after the novella, The Flaming Soldier. Yeah. So good thing we got The Flaming Soldier in because (laughs) now we know where our placement is. Um, I do want to, before we get started here, I do want to thank Gareth for sending us a pronouncer. Uh, Andy gave him a heads up that we often struggle with the Welsh, which I think a lot of people probably do, to be fair. I mean, come on. But uh, he did send us a pronouncer, and so uh, I sent him an email thanking him and hoping that he would listen to the review. And so I'd like to say again, thank you, Gareth, for sending us the pronouncer. Because for me, it did. I had it open next to this, and it did help me 
occasionally I would look at a name so many times that I realized I'm never going to get that and just keep doing it in my head what I, what I had. <laughs> but there were certain occasions where I picked up on what that Welsh word was or that pronunciation anyway was of those names and would continue it in my head as I read it. So it was very helpful. See, I, I got the, the pronouncer after I had finished <laughs> reading finished it. So it. Welsh is just like any other sci-fi word for me. <laughs> it just kind of, it becomes a word on a page instead yep. of something in your head. Oh, that's that. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, word association. I, I treated it very much like a, 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 a study guide that the teacher would hand out in class. While I was very appreciative of the effort, I didn't use it. <laughs> so I, I, I stumbled through blindly and then kicked myself afterwards. Going, Man, I should have had that handy. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, as we before we start actually butchering any of these pronunciations, <laughs> he also has a disclaimer saying that he's no linguist and he's not fluent. He just grew up there and got reasonable grade in his second language, GCSE Welsh, fifteen years ago. So he might be a little yeah, rusty. Purists so. might disagree with some of his pronunciations. Yes. But it was still mountains above. What Way I better been. than we, we in, in my book. You're an expert. <laughs> You got, he got a reasonable grade. <laughs> I just say, Gareth, close enough. <laughs> of course, that's usually how I uh, rank myself whenever I read this. I go, eh, close enough. <laughs> this was probably my second favorite story I, I, of, of, the, of the set. I probably fall on, down on that, too. The, the last one's a very close one, but uh, yeah. Um, mainly because Evans. Yes. And, and, yes, and who doesn't love Evans? And and uh, new and improved uh, Evans and Samson. Improved Evans. Evan and yes. Samson together, together. That again. And the not just the interplay, but the this wonderful odd couple dynamic that has developed between the two of them, and the the very simple, straightforward way that Evans responds and looks at the world. And Samson almost has to keep reminding himself of of, of this kind of stuff, and it, it's it's right up to the beginning. He says, "So oh, I thought you, uh, <laughs> or how'd you get lost driving your own country? Oh, out of practice, aren't I? <laughs> oh yeah, we have taken you off driving duty. <laughs> 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 you know, whose fault is that? I thought you understood the language. Oh, I'm out of practice, aren't I? I? Just one after another after another with those kinds of things that he had to keep reminding himself. And so I had this stupid grin on my face through most of the story. Um. Even stumbling over the pronunciations in my head, which has, yeah, sci-fi word here. <laughs> and getting to the moment where they've been transported, I'm going to skip to the end. Getting to the moment where they've been transported back in time, and they're locked up, and they're like, okay, how do we do? And Samson convinces Evans that we've got to stop this. We can't just let it go. And Evans makes that connection that, oh, yeah, this could be bad. We absolutely have to do it. Okay, how do we get out? Well, how about the sick prisoner trick? And Evans, or uh, Samson, well, they're never going to fall for that. It's the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I literally laughed out loud and had to explain it to Mel. <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? What are, what's going on? That's so why I had to explain the joke to her, and she thought it was funny. That, to me, was just the crystallizing, yeah, I, I really don't care if they yeah. get out of it now. This is, <laughs> is perfect. So that just you, you tickled my funny bone, and you made me happy, and I was, I was pleased as punch. I think the hardest thing to follow along for me, and probably because I don't know the history of this time period that they go back to, is I'm, I'm intrigued to learn more about, um, what was the king's name? 
I'm not going to pronounce it. <laughs> Which one was it? Was that Owen? Owen? No, that was... Uh, I believe it was. Okay. I think so. Owen. Yeah, oh, that's right, because they kept saying uh, Glendur. Uh, yeah, Owen Glendur. <laughs> I don't know much about that. I know nothing, uh, yeah. Prince or king or whatever he was. Uh, Prince. Uh, Prince of Wales. Um, but it, it did intrigue me to go back and find out about this and how he was kind of, you know... I, I think he... I get the impression he was a stranger in his own land he had become prince because of his efforts to help the welsh people and that the uh french king basically hung him out to dry and the uh he was assimilated into or the the king the kingdom was assimilated into uh british rule was the impression i got and he felt that he needed to lead his people out under the thumb of of the crown um but which was really intriguing to me so much so to the fact that that in the 1970s we have some uh, uh, rebels or whatever I don't know what, the, what you would call them uh, a, a group that wants to return him to their time because they think he has a better chance. Uh, a, I don't a, know a Welsh why would, Renaissance. I don't know why you think they think that, but yeah, think that he has a better chance of influencing the Welsh uh, uh, nationalists and to you know try to take their their country or their land back their country back which seemed a little bit far-fetched to me but i guess it kind of works <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a bit out there of an idea it but is it's it's a neat idea it for is a, a neat story idea. that well, we that, haven't gotten previously that's just it the concept of this and the fact that it involved the time travel element of it i thought was really cool it was really intriguing uh that these three guys go back in time inadvertently pulling samson and, and evan back in time with them uh and and evan really uh, evan's certainly being kind of the hero in this as, as, yeah. as well which i thought was neat i thought it was really well written too uh, it was. not having pronouncers uh, i was able to keep all the characters straight and figure out who was who without yeah, knowing absolutely. how to say their names absolutely so maybe that, the uniqueness of the names helps too i, I think that could, in your but head. they vary the names so much that you can really help keep track of who what's going on yeah that and i i appreciate that uh again with evan's pragmatic practicalism that oh time travel okay and that we didn't have to get a big not that there would have necessarily been room for it in a short story but just that you know he accepted it and moved on is this too low I suddenly realized i feel like i'm talking into my navel oh, you're right. um but uh the, the, he just Oh, or, you know, after all the things I've seen with this outfit, you know, this is this. Um, I agree with you. I, I, I feel like I wanted to know more about this because, and I'm probably way off base. So if anybody's from the area or, or the author, I apologize. The closest analogy that my brain made is if a current day group of Scots went back and tried to bring William Wallace into the future. <laughs> that's kind of the impression I took. Uh, from you know, it, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's not how this worked, but, you know, okay, that's the closest that I can make that correlation. So. Like well, as for people who don't know the history, the story does a good enough job helping you kind of get that impression that it can relate to something that you are familiar with. Well, and just to find, like when we did uh, Wrath of the Iceni, Iceni, the, 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 where, where the we all of a sudden found out later that, oh, this is a real person. Right. The, the, you know, that flabbergasted me. This story, I feel like, okay, this is obviously a real thing. I need to look into this more because I'm intrigued. I want to know more about it does something that Doctor Who set out to do in the very beginning, and that yeah. was to educate people and the youth, and I think more importantly, make people want to go and learn more about the history 
that it's you know utilizing in the, in the vehicle that it's utilizing. So I think well, it does it, a good job of that. It, am, am I remembering it correctly that it also does that cool thing that Doctor Who often does of explaining mysteries because he still disappears at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which does. you know. Is one of the things I've always appreciated when Doctor Which, Who does. Which, although I thought because he disappears at the end of the story that he was an actually come back through to oh yeah I did too. <laughs> to to our t- or to, to our time no this is even before us but uh, to to present the day time. yeah uh, that I thought that oh are we actually going to go there with this but they didn't quite go there so yeah so that was neat. Which would have been kind of an interesting take on it. It would have you been. know. Two princes at the same time, because for <laughs> fortuitously, for at least our villains, uh, the Prince of Wales is actually visiting this nuclear yes. planet at the same time. <laughs> who Evans in turn? I wanted him to get a citation for saving the prince. <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> I, I, it's funny we've gone from Evans being this like duncey driver to wanting a, accommodations to be you know, yeah. <laughs> lavished on the man. <laughs> That's how much we've grown to love Evans. <laughs> very good well nice job good job on you Gareth you know what I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong <laughs> notice how we avoided saying most names in the story yeah we still did even though we had the pronouncer guide what's next Keith 48 Crash 48 by Mark crash. Carton so this was the one that was released as part of the anniversary for BBC Radio, right? I believe that's right, yeah. Because it heavily ties into BBC One. Yeah. This is where I'm going to apologize and, and, and have to bow out. Because as I was reading the book, uh, the shorts and going in order, I get to this one. And I don't know what it is. I made it, I feel like about three pages into the story. I have no idea what I read. And it's not through any fault of the author, I don't believe. I just, I, I would read a page and just there was no comprehension happening. I just, I have no idea what I read. And I probably should have skipped ahead to the last story in the book and finished it off and then tried to come back to this one. But I was doggedly determined. So I kept rereading it and trying to get into it. And I just couldn't make any progress on it. So I don't know what happens. I have not finished this. My thing is I almost didn't read this one. because, In fact, that's when I sent the text to you about oh. what was in the in this clarifying what we had to read because originally this was released as a short story on its own that we hadn't reviewed yet but in back of my head i had it that we had done this one <laughs> and i almost didn't read it and then i thought ah and i sent that text to you asking are these the ones that we need to do and you said yes and i was like okay now i gotta read this one too so yeah i almost missed reading this one myself <laughs> <laughs> well tell me about it well, this one is an interesting story. I like the concept of this uh, from the, the point of view of there's this basically Woodstock-type event that is uh, getting ready to happen, that's being organized by Radio 1 of some of the biggest... I mean, it's these DJs basically get kind of... This one particular gets their time in the sun at this big music festival thing, but you don't get the impression that the musicians come and sing. They just load up a big PA system and they spin some tunes live in front of an audience and it's broadcast on the, on the, on the radio. And there is some, so they did a live remote. So this (laughs) is probably what, this is probably what I lost you is there's this code breaker guy that gets uh, put in this position of breaking codes and he goes nuts because suddenly he's like, 
it's yeah, he's he, obsessed. He's obsessed with like it's all in the charts. It's music. It's pointing to something. Uh, blah 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 blah. And when the, it piques the brigadier's interest, and so he goes to talk to him and finds out that he's talking about this has happened before. It's been an invasion in the past, 1948, and the the brig still doesn't quite piece it together. So he ends up going to Hamilton and finding out that General Hamilton actually was there in 48 when this first invasion started to happen, and he puts the brig on it immediately because it sounds like it's going to happen again. Yeah. This time, then they were able to kind of thwart the invasion because. There were only a few people there, and the army had no problem because they weren't able to uh, uh, take over this little seaside town. But now that there's this big, giant festival coming, they knew that they were going to be able to you know, take all of these people out and be able to take over this town, which then signals uh, a fleet of ships that's going to come down and start their invasion. So this is like the flagship that, start, that comes in, it's kind of ship. set up, sets things up for the, the ones to come in. Pilot fish. Pilot fish. So it's 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 an intriguing story, and I really liked it. Unfortunately, it takes me, it occasionally takes me out of the story, and I try not to let things like this bug me, but it's a bit anachronistic. The um, reason being is because distinctly it says it takes place a year after the novel The Man from Yesterday. The Man from Yesterday, if you look at the timeline, takes place in 1970. A year later would be 1971. Now, while he has he's spinning Slade's, record uh, is it slate that group the uk group merry christmas everybody having fun anyway they were big in the 70s but their first song was in 1971 so i was okay with that but then when he starts spinning rocket man i know for sure that came out in april 72 72 <laughs> so then i'm suddenly i'm like whoa we didn't do our research here and so unfortunately that doesn't things like that don't bother me that but what tipped me off to that i probably wouldn't even have thought of that is he uses the author uses mark Carton uses some words that I felt were inappropriate from the time. Mm. And it happened a few times, but the one that sticks in my head that I can definitely remember is, uh, and while people come, he, I'm paraphrasing, but people come by and get some shout-outs. Well, shout-out's not a term. That's a 90s term. Yeah. A shout-out is, is a relatively new term. And to use something like that in a book that's purportedly set in 1971, or ish, 71-ish, uh, that that threw me off. Seventy one, eighty one. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're seventy one ninety one. Oh, see, you just fixed part of it. Seventy one ninety one. But so that that and and I wish I I had I wish I had jotted down the other two just to, to make this point a little more fluent. But there just there's some phraseology in this, and it, it's probably a, a relatively inexperienced writer that wrote. I don't know. I, I don't want to pigeonhole Mark Grant's probably got a huge dossier of stuff but um he just he just it felt very anachronistic for this story and that unfortunately takes me out of it and then i'm hard it's hard for me to focus on the true story itself which it should but it did um overall conceptually it's a neat idea an invasion that starts from the sea that comes up creates this giant tsunami in order to take out a bunch of people and then signaling a, uh, a fleet of ships ahead the analogy of the fact that the reason they could connect these two events were similar is because of the weather patterns that were happening in 1948 are similar to what's happening now. And the thunderstorm, these big storms that have been happening, is a great cover for an invading fleet that's going to yeah. use a big giant signal beacon in order to bring their uh, ships down to, for the ready. So I thought that was cool. It was clever. There were neat little things. Then it goes a little bit, I don't want to say wonky, but maybe wacky is more of the term, which 
I kind of I enjoyed the ride because at this point, when the brigadier goes up and he realizes he has to clear the people from Oh, that's my favorite the part of the entire story. Is <laughs> I'm just saying, the plausibility of this was really weird, but I kind of set it aside going, okay, this is kind of fun. so much fun that it was just, he has to get, yes. He, has to, he goes up to the DJ who's spinning flatters. It's the height of the evening. And he tells him, you know, these people are in danger. You've got to help me get out of here. And so they have this contest every every year that they do this thing where people win prizes. And the DJ, clever thinking on his feet, says, "Drive the, get in the cab and drive this away, and I'll lure the people away. And so the DJ decides that his ploy is, okay, we're going to give uh, prizes away to the first five people that could get up to me in time. And so the brigadier takes <laughs> off, and of course the whole Everyone's crowd's running chasing. after him because they're all trying to get up to him in time. And, and he's it was, spinning plates the entire time. He is. He's playing discs the whole time. So it's it's hilarious. I mean, it's it's not even hilarious. It's just it's funny and fun yeah. in that aspect. But it, I did have that side of me going, eh, would this really work? <laughs> Could you? But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, was, an, it I was, was enjoyable the at that point. <laughs> it was enjoyable, but there there were little problems that I had, little niggles I had with it, and that was one of them. Was the fact that every time. A certain phrase. I wish I could remember some of them. So every time a certain phraseology would pop out, it took me out of it because I was like, "That doesn't sound 1970s to me." So, Keith, what else? I, uh, I kind of dominated this one for the story that I probably was my least favorite. I <laughs> dominated most of the conversation here. I, I didn't notice those things, and I I got, I enjoyed the story. I had a lot of fun while reading it. I didn't have the issue you did, Sean. It, it, does it come across as like? Is it meant to be a farce? Or is it just that it hits a high moment? It's not farcical. No, I'm it's not. It more of it's a, of just a, fun. Yeah, there's a there, uh, but there's so an like edge Lethbridge of... Stewart chasing the Christmas star on horseback. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind of it's thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly like, that. like that. Okay. Yeah. It's just and, it's, and then it's that on the verge allows of wackiness. the army to do their thing and take care of the threat before it can even start. So it's it's just one of those large group of people have to get out of the way and. <laughs> I think also what I liked about it was the four. I mean, even though we had a spur of the moment action in order to get people away from the the shore, because everything else was very thought out leading up to exactly that. the yeah. the planning for the the invasion to take care of the invasion was was good because they had anchored themselves down on the shore. They had I think they had nose plugs and goggles because they knew that there were the water possibility could of this take tsunami. you over and allow them. Uh, I, and I army. and I like the concept of the brigadier showing up to something that had been, been predicted to have like three thousand people. And ends up having like thirty thousand people. I'm, those numbers aren't right, but that was the, the the implication. And realizing this is out of this is, I've got to figure out something quick. We've got to just quickly because we're this is not controllable. We can't manage this many people. Only to have the DJ go, yeah, drive this thing. I've got something. <laughs> well, and the the journey to uncover the mystery of the invasion, I really enjoyed too. It was good too. It was intriguing. And the, the brigadier picking up on these things that, hey, this guy might be a point because he's he's almost kind of brushed aside by everybody else because they kind of think he's just gone crazy because this has happened to Others. code breakers before. They have they it's a they in fact they think they had a a term for it that this happens to a handful of people and so they just kind of assume this has happened to him. But he actually really did find see a sequence in the patterns that uh, was going to signal this invasion. And the brigadier was smart enough to say, well, maybe I should check this out. So that was kind of cool too. Yeah. There, I think, you know, there's good things about this. Mark, you did a good job. I like this story now. <laughs> the more I talk about it, the more I like it. It's just this few anachronisms. <laughs> few that anachronisms. Just... I can, I can, 
I can let slide now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last one in Havoc Files 4 is The Slow Invasion by Andrew Allen. This story takes place several years after the TV story of The Five Doctors. Yeah. You, you read this one, right, Sean? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't read this one. I, th- I got stuck on... Oh, that's right. You got stuck on 48. I got stuck on 48, correct, and I should have gotcha. skipped ahead. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I didn't. So I, I, I still have catch-up reading to do. Uh, so tell me about this one. <laughs> you take over here, Keith, because... So uh, let me let me. Before I read he this starts, one, and it's now, already. Before I'm already he intrigued because it's set after the five doctors. Before he starts this story, I don't can't oh. explain it. I enjoyed it immensely, but I don't think I understand every bit of it. There was I got confused. I don't. It's not that I don't understand it. I got confused in a lot of places. Okay. So it it's it takes this really clever these two stories and ties them together of. Anne and Bishop off doing their own things. And so it kind of starts with these two soldiers are decoys and they get killed, unfortunately, um, as Bishop is trying to get this, what they call the passenger, to the base to protect it. Meanwhile, Anne goes to see an art showing because... Brendan. What? Brendan. Yeah, Brendan. The, the, The son of her friend that was the baby in Moonblink. That they shipped oh, okay. off to, to live with uh, Sarah Jane's mother. <laughs> that ended up sh- that ends up living in with not mother uh, aunt uh, Levine, in, yeah. yeah Levine in uh, uh, man's best friend. Uh, what's the Canine Company episode? That Brendan supposedly has invited her to an art gallery. Yeah, it's just a name drop, but it's a really long name drop, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you really kept is. thinking, oh, we're gonna see, he's gonna show up, we're gonna see, and then he doesn't show up. Yeah, it's kind of a. But she, just she, enough to establish which Brendan that is. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and and she gets kind of tricked into going to see a painting of her father, which self heals. So you you damage it and it fixes itself. Hmm. And so the guy there's there's kind of mystery of this guy that she who's trying to get Anne to look at this painting and when she does and they he gets her to take him and the painting back to the unit base where Bishop comes back with his package in tow, which is, which they call the passenger. Uh-huh. And it's, it's this sarcophagus it's a sarco- that yeah. they can't open. So they don't really know what's on the inside of it. Other than it had, it had come out of the sarcophagus once, before. once before between the time that it's aged two to today. Which that's was a all they really know. long time. Yeah, a okay. really long time. Ago. And and so these people that killed the the decoy soldiers are after the sarcophagus. And so they're chasing them all the way back to base. And they get in. And it turns out that the guy with the painting is a member of this tribe and knew that they were going to be intersecting here. It was an all setup to actually push them towards the base to get to it get to the base so that he was there to intercept the, it. The painting is made out of this alien's blood. And the blood is necessary to revive whatever's in the casket. Or okay. sarcophagus. So that, that that's the big thrust of it is putting these two things together. And I'm trying to remember how it ended now. I'd say well, in the circus tent with the illustrated man illusion where it's... they. That's where I got they, lost. They kind of, that's they kind of wind lost. up trapping the blood elsewhere. But I don't remember. Well, how. it's because she had the uh, hydrogen peroxide. 
Yes, that's right. That that was uh, well. She had. I think she had splashed him with it at one point, but she was also holding the rest of the ink at bay. I say ink because the guy, when when it takes over him, because well, what happened was it's a hard story to explain. It, is, it makes and, sense when you read it. Here's <laughs> why. Here's why. Uh, Keith just explained it eloquently. The, the the summary of the plot of what what you know the yeah the summary of the story. He did a good job. What's really intriguing and cool about this story is how it's all played. We get a like cut I don't back say, and forth we get a huge well a we get a bit. huge chunk of setup which is just fascinating of these two guys that are the decoys yeah and when you they stop on the decoys, road you yeah, don't know that course. they're decoys and when you, they stop on the road the guys come out and they shoot the one guy immediately and they're basically telling this guy this other guy that open up this van and he's like I can't do that and he's he they say no you open this this van so I think they ended up shooting him. And he's dying. He's on the ground, realizing what's going on, and understand. They blow the back of the van open, and there's nothing there. And then they come back around, and say, "Where is it? Where is it?" He's he's laughing because he knows, "Hey, we're the decoy," and he has to tell these guys that. So there's this beautiful little story of this guy that you really kind of get to like, and you feel bad for because I mean, this is it. He's dead. He's he's going to die. And so it's this really intriguing uh, setup. And, and then, then you move on to the rest well, of the story. Th- yeah, and you you move to Anne, who's at this gallery through the invitation and then you they move back to bishop who has now shown up on the scene where these decoys are dead and they're bringing in a helicopter in order to take the because they realize that okay there is going to be an ambush we need to be on top of this or we'll take it by air as an added protection and ends up taking it the, the really cool thing about it is this this guy that's trying to get and to come to to come look at the painting first of all she's she's very she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to be there after she realizes she's been duped and that Brendan's not really there. And she texts, talks to this guy, but he very cleverly says, well, you have to come back and see it now or never because I have to leave for America by 11 o'clock. And she says, well, she begrudgingly ends up going. She takes a, a, one of the, the a fifth with her as protection she goes when she sees it now suddenly she's even more intrigued because not only is it a picture of her father and very much so in the like they and that's another thing i thought was really cool they talk about how there's only like five paintings of professor travers and none of them capture his essence but this one does in fact she says he never liked any of the other pictures but she knows if she if he had seen this one he would liked it because it does capture the essence of it and then only to do the whole intriguing thing where you know he he, first of all, he goes up and he he rubs uh, uh, he rubs a little bit of turpentine. turpentine on the painting, and she's like, "Well, what are you doing? Don't don't ruin it." It goes back together. Then he throws turpentine at it, and it runs down almost off of the the canvas, and then comes back on. I mean, it's really written very very well, and it's, it's very visual. Uh, anyway, she she finally says, "Well, I need to take this back and do some tests on it to find out what this ink or painting paint is," and he says, "I can't do that. I can't let it out of my sight." And she's so intrigued by it that she knows she's not supposed to let this guy in. But he convinces her, well, if you got a, he, you know, he plays you've got on arm, all those he things. plays on everything. <laughs> if you've got an armed guard on me, obviously I'm not going to see anything. And, and so talks him into t- her taking takes talks her into taking him back into this uh, where she's doing. She is running these tests, and that's where she discovers that it's actually blood. It's sentient blood of some sort. All the while, the the uh, bishop's crew have been. Yeah, and and they're they're and I love the fact that once they get it to the base, they realize and there's a guy with a dead on bead on Bishop, and he knows that he this is it, this is the end. The guy misses him, and so he manages to get into the base, 
And he realizes, wait a minute, it's almost like they're leading us into a trap because that guy had me dead to rights. I should be dead right now, but he missed. And so Bishop's starting to catch on. The blast doors are going down in the room that Anne and the the, uh, the, the old man are in because the uh, base is under siege and he pushes the sarcophagus to the door and traps the door from going down and tells Anne, you guys got to help me get in here because they they're this is what they're after. And she... Even you know protocols dictate no. This this is a safe room. You can't she be just in jumps here. Into she, action. Yeah, and so finally he convinces her. Yeah, I have to be on the other side of that door. So they actually get in there, which is even worse now because now it's where this guy has wanted it to be all along. I mean, it's it's just really really cleverly done. It's I mean, really, it really is. it paces so nicely. So the guy finally reveals after they're locked into this room with just him. So it's just Ann Bishop and this guy. They realize that. Oh, this they've been duped, and he's he's like the 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 paint from the picture is now going down off the canvas on the table, and is starting to reanimate the the sarcophagus. He opens it with a ring that he's wearing, which was very cleverly telegraphed to us because she mar- remarks about the ring early on yeah. in the story when she mar- meets him. He opens his sarcophagus with this ring, and this paint blood substance starts to reanimate this bo- these bones in this thing of this alien. And it, they talk about this, you know, the the bone, the first the bones and then the oh, muscles the, the grafting. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's so well done. Anyway, so <laughs> you think, oh, this is it. It's going to be revived. Well, Bishop just takes and blasts the thing <laughs> so that it can't revive this thing. Just boom. And you think, oh, well, that fixes it. No, it comes back off and then it starts to overtake Anne and, and Bishop. And then you're like, whoa, what's going on here? And then it, they wake up later and the guy's gone. And they realize what has happened is the, the took blood him. took him over because it needed a vehicle to get out. And then he ends up at a circus. <laughs> it's it's a circus that's nearby. In fact, they they, they tell you about they, this they ring. Referenced it earlier. Yeah, there was a ringmaster that was standing outside trying to beckon people into the circus. Well, that's where he ends up because I think that this sentient blood alien being thing that's taken him over now realizes that now it doesn't have a host, so it's got to spread. And so they realize that that's where he's go- that's where it get that's where it goes a little off the rails for me, and I, I got a little confused what was happening. But she comes running in with the the it's not, it wasn't triple it was a hydrogen peroxide, obviously because it's blood. Now she knows what to deal use to deal with yeah. it, and they end up separating it from him, but with no host in order to continue on. So they end up saving the day that way. But the while all of this is so eloquently written, the very end of this, the last act of this confused me a bit on what was happening and so I, that was for me the weakest point even though i think it wrapped up nicely it really kind of felt like we got to a certain point and didn't quite know what to do with it so it gets a little random at the end but overall it's hmm. it's a terrific it's story and i just i've completely told you the entire thing and ruined it completely no, no, you don't I'm, have to read I'm, it now I'm, I'm really it's really it really an intrigue so no, that's no, why I, thought I wasn't intrigued before that's now. why we were talking about earlier i said it's really maybe uh, you were saying this was our you're the the magician one was your second favorite maybe this might be my second favorite. I haven't decided. If it wasn't for the confusion in the end of what was happening. Well, it's, what's what's also great is it leaves things amb- ambiguous. It does. It, it leaves it very ambiguous. It leaves it in a way where you get the impression that the blood 
exists now on a circus tent flag. It does because the the blood ends up on the uh, and as a painting as, of it's the almost, guy. It's almost what's the guy's name at the end of Ghostbusters two, where you know, yeah, it's yeah. living as this giant Vigo. Canvas. Vigo. It almost yeah. it's, it's like the image of Vigo, but it, it's and it's the guy. It's the old man yeah. that it's yeah. the image of that, that at the end. So. Yeah, that was a bit again like the the ending. I think could have been a little more tidy than it was, but overall, it's just a, such a good read and it such really an intriguing is. story. And it, it really, of the course of the book, that really the end. It really felt like an end story in this kind of a big giant climactic thing. So, but it's not. Nope. Then <laughs> because we get the two brigadiers, which I realized <laughs> after because we hadn't read the we have read the two brigadiers. I realized when I got to the end of this, I was like, "Oh, the two brigadiers. Why would this be right here at the end?" This was one of those stories that I thought got a little bit corny. Then I realized because that story, the slow invasion, is grim and there's a lot of heavy moments in it. The two brigadiers does kind of like the book to to end on, well, which I thought was good. I if you good noticed, idea. also, it's the book is in chronological order. Oh, it is. Yeah. So right. because the the two brigadiers that. is after batter, battlefield, right? This one was before the five or after the five doctors. Right. So I mean, it's kind of dun 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 dun, dun in right. order. So it makes sense too in that aspect, right? I'm still smarting over the idea that the two brigadiers wasn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> you can't give me that title and not give me. Yeah. You got two brigadiers. I know. You got two brigadiers. I know. The next doctor wasn't what you thought it would be either. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and I enjoyed it all the same. But Clever and still setup. A, still a part of me going, oh, you fooled me with the Clever title. Clever and setup. Overall, I really enjoyed Havix Files 4. I thought it was it was wonderfully done, wonderfully constructive. And there's not a bad story in it. No, there really mm-hmm. is. I have some issues with some, but overall... Another great set of short stories compiled it's, together uh, for the end of the, definitely end of the season. Or beginning of the next, whichever you way you look yeah. at it. I always think of this as the end of the last, but I guess it's technically the beginning of the next. And a good end to the Havoc Files line. Yeah. If, indeed, this is the last of the last. If, yes. They say it is, but you never know. All right, then we had two little special shorts. Uh, yeah, they released a uh, a short story for Boxing Day. <laughs> called What's Past is Prologue. I like that we now have a Christmas special, a Boxing Day special, and, and then the New we'll Year's. do a New Year's Day special. <laughs> so this is a lot of fun. Yeah. So What's Past is Prologue um, explores a familial connection to uh, Alistair in a roundabout way that you have to really kind of focus on to pay attention of who they're talking about and What's going on? Um, what do you guys think of this one? I like this because it goes way back. In fact, it took me a second. I had to remember back that I had read that it was set in 1917, I think it was. They're talking and, about the Great War. Yeah and, yeah, and I had to figure out how. And, you know, the the talking about the incursions with the Russians. And I, and I took me a little while to go, oh, wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't even like young Alistair, young Lethbridge Stewart. This is like even pre-Lethbridge Stewart. They're talking about Gordon. Right. And so this is Gordon and his brother, Matthew. And they're just, it's basically an outing with their dad on Christmas Day into town. And Gordon, it, it really explores Gordon's pursuit, for the most part, of 
wanting to get into the war even though he's too young. He ends up going yeah. to the uh, military office in order to sign up and gets arrested because he's breaking the rules of trying to get in too soon. It's a real subtle little story, but what it does at the end is it sets up his the connection of Archibald, who we just saw in the Twice Upon a Time Christmas special this year, which shares some lineage with Lethbridge Stewart. Um, the Christmas special implies in more ways than one that Archibald is a direct line, like a grandfather or something. Some sort of ancestor. The I think the Heisman estate decided and had already created a grandfather for Lethbridge Stewart. And unfortunately that doesn't didn't work intellectual property wise doesn't doesn't work in the way that, that doesn't jive doesn't jive and so cleverly they they did agree with a compromise and david mckinty wrote this uh short story in order to introduce us to archibald who is the great uncle of uh lethbridge stewart only to which and it's it's a, it's a, it's a neat little story. It's encompassed. It's in okay. About, I wasn't. It's about a half a dozen pages. It's yeah, not it's not a lot happens. All the all the, the only it's character me. building for yeah. the ancestry. It, it's of, of setting up who Archibald is because yeah. there's references to him and talking to him, and that's that's really all that ser- the story serves its purpose right. for. And in doing that, it does a fine job. And it, Uncle Archie's coming for Christmas. We know yeah. that, and he shows up at the end. Yeah, that's. <laughs> It's pretty much the thrust of the story and a little bit of backstory for Gordon. But other than that, I, I wasn't that wowed by this story. And The Past is Prelude is a clever title for a story yes. in itself. But when you realize that the following week, Andy Wright has a story that comes out called The Note, you realize that it's a twofold title, that this is almost a prelude <laughs> To yes, in combination with the note, prologue. it improves prologue. the story. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, but I quite enjoyed it. It was it was a neat little look back into the history of, of Lethbridge Stewart, and I, I I quite quite liked that, especially the the determination that Gordon has that he's ready to serve King and Country, and I thought that was kind of a, a, a neat statement on him on how it, it helps. Show why the brig is is also very military minded, and, and you could where, say that until you realize well, in the story we're going to read that, the, and even in Forgotten Son, it's alluded to that that wasn't his first as a young man. His, that was yeah. not his first passion. But you can see it's ingrained. You can in him. see, yeah, that they're in, yeah. it's in his blood. It yes, really is. Yeah, yeah. Sean. I liked the fact that it was a simple story that this this outing at Christmas. Um, and I, I liked the fact that of all the places where well, we went and checked the girlfriend's house, we went and checked the, you know, you, you, you did the rounds and he wasn't in these places. And finally we called the police station and hoped that, oh, what, what he's there. <clears throat> so I, why would he be at the police station? Would he... And for the silliest of reasons, you know, really, I mean, I went to, en- I went to enlist. What? <laughs> <laughs> Christmas day. You know, just sure. It was um, boxing day. It was the day uh, after. The, the day after, pardon me. Day, yeah. Um, so. I, I, it was like, wow, okay. Um, the explaining away the the who Archibald is, um, 
which really it's it's almost a two-parter it really i I think you almost need the note you do and i think that's why i i I think it was cleverly done that we got a little piece ahead of the kind of the the piece (laughs) piece de resistance no but you know the the bigger piece that comes later right this this one is kind of the the story and then the second one is the info dump that you put the two of them together and all of a sudden you have kind of a complete little... It makes a nice little companion piece. uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, The explaining away of Archibald, I felt, was uh, cleverly done. And... um, Actually, it's not even explaining away. It's it's introducing. It's introducing the character, I think, to the, as we've affectionately called it, the Brigverse or the extended unit verse, as I like better. Um, But yeah, I think it introduces Archie to the universe relatively well even though i believe archibald is mentioned early even earlier on in uh the forgotten son because i, I, so, I came yes. across something that referenced me back to that and it jogged my memory that the character was mentioned and i think that that's where they they well i, I think there was an archibald yes, yes. Stewart, but that's not necessarily well, it wasn't it wasn't the fleshed out character yes. it is a name drop yes yeah Having said that, um, it makes me feel a little bit better about how it was handled in the Christmas special because I, I don't feel when he said he was a Lethbridge steward, I, I I kind of groaned a little bit inwardly because it just felt like oh this is just a, a a fan service name drop. There's really no reason for him to be related at all uh, from the standpoint of the great war being about the unknown soldier. Right. I, mean, I just, I felt that was a much stronger connection. It could have been any soldier, yeah, it it really been any soldier been. and I felt it was stronger to do that. And I felt, especially from the standpoint that the first doctor doesn't know Lethbridge Stewart, that's a meaningless name to him, that it just didn't have that connection for me. So they went there, they did that. It was like, okay, then for Andy uh, and David to turn around and, take that and go okay well if, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that we're gonna run with it and we're going to almost reappropriate this character yeah which... <laughs> and, and and fold him back into the universe in such a way that as you said it's an introduction that that we're, we're getting and bending I don't know it's almost bending doctor who to fit the brig verse yeah and it works, yeah. and it works beautifully, and it, so it made me feel better about how the Christmas special came off. Because what it doesn't feel, what it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like bending the Lethbridge Stewart universe to fit Doctor Who. It right. feels like yeah. bending Doctor Who universe to fit Lethbridge Stewart. And exactly. I think that that works. I think they cleverly did that. I would agree with you hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, that that made me very very happy for that. So, um, you know, as Keith said, you know, there's there's really nothing that happens in it. Um, I liked the story better than some of the other Christmas ones. So we could like ah, the Christmas fairy one. I wasn't <laughs> um, so I, I liked this one um, for for that element of it. I'm still having difficulty in my head keeping track of the Lethbridge Stewart family tree. It's difficult. I there, do have there to. Are, I do sometimes have to allude to the. Yeah, handy little thing that that's on the website in order to to figure some characters. Well, out. And then up until the recently, so they weren't they weren't all on there. All so. the same. Yeah. Well, and there have been because we've gotten two Connells now, because there was one in the past, and then the the, the grandson. The grandson. Uh, and there are. Or is well, that the son? 
Is Connell the son or the grandson? Connell's Connell Alistair's is Alistair's son. Is no, son? grandson. Grandson. Yeah, no, it's grandson. Grandson. Because thought... Lucy is his granddaughter and, and Connell is her brother. Okay. From a previous marriage. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and then there have been two Alistairs. There's the Brig Alistair and then the previous and Alistair. Grandpa. And there's... Let's stop where we're at. Because yeah. we're gonna, we're, <laughs> Andy's going to send us a lengthy email of, you guys really screwed this up. So, no. <laughs> we'll stop um, it right there. When we read these stories, we try to keep the yeah, people straight. Yeah. No, we, we just, and Andy does done a nice job now on the website. And I mean, no disrespect to them, them because the there is. There's a great there little is, guide yeah. up there. But as I'm reading, I still have trouble, especially when we're doing a time jump where we just finished this whole book that was in order. And then I went and read this and it was like, okay, well, this one's set here and this one's set here because they're two halves of the same whole, even though they're, there's a whole... <laughs> The entirety of the Brig verses feels like it's set between them in a way, so it's like okay. But um, other than that, no, I, I like these stories a lot. Yes. I, I thought both of these were, were very good. I like, was, I like the note a lot. It was nice lineages. That being said, let's move into the note <laughs> because that that kind of had these. That's written in such a way it had these revelations. That I was like, what? <laughs> this was like, and, and it, I'm going to say this. I kind of spoiled that. Going I'm going to say <laughs> this because I don't think it's, I, I'm not saying this in a way that sometimes you imply soap opera is derogatory of something. It has a soap opera element to oh, it. Oh, yeah, totally That does. really works. That is really good and very intriguing. And the way that it's delivered and the fact that it's it's all related back in this note that, that, Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart's father learned of the fact that he is actually Archibald's son and not Gordon's son, which I thought was... Am I getting that no, right? No, not Alistair's son. Yeah, Gordon, sorry. Uh, Gordon it, finds out that he's Gordon Archibald's son. Gordon finds out that he's Archibald's son, yes. That his son is actually Archibald's son. Thank you. Uh, J- uh, not James. Uh, oh, gosh. Now gonna, uh, here we go, tripping up with the names. Yeah. The Briggs' dad had learned the that, he, dad that Uncle Archie was actually his dad and yes. not his actual, well, his... his no, not his uncle. Not his uncle. And that... Anyway, it's cleverly done. <laughs> that it, And it also harkens back to, if you look back on Twice Upon a Time, it does nicely bend things so that you can, you, you can either look at it at, from the, yes, you're right, the unknown soldier is an element of the story and could have been just left at that. But it does give that one little nice little, oh, wow, he really did save the lineage of Lethbridge Stewart because even though unbeknownst to most people, he's, or to beknownst to most people, he's Uncle Archie, unbeknownst to a lot of people, he's actually Lethbridge Stewart's great-grandfather, which I think really worked. And, and like you said, it bends Doctor Who to work with the... the uh, It'd be just grandfather, wouldn't it? Yeah, his grandfather, yes. yes. Grandfather. Yeah, grandfather. I said great-great, but yeah, grandfather. I'm sure he was a great <laughs> but, you know. but yeah, no, so... But the note, I, the note, Andy continues to just wow me with his writing because I... It, for what sets up to be... I mean, this is just on the heels of the father dying. Or, yes. or the, 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 the getting... MIA. The, he, he's gone yeah. MIA. Uh, and also the fact that, you know, Mary's now having to deal with the loss of a husband. And just years before that, they had buried 
well, several years before, a few years before that, they had just buried James when he had died. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, this note is written very near to the fact that they, when when his father had Gordon, yeah, had uh, buried James, and relaying this to his father through the note that he knows, then. And and the question is, do, do we let Alistair know that the grandfather thinking, right. do Alistair the grandfather, do we let young Alistair know, you know, that this is, a, and, and he leaves it open as to whether that was ever told to him. Yeah. Now, that being said, when the intelligence takes away most of his memories of his past life anyway, <laughs> that could have it's, been taken away yeah. as well, because I, I Mary, his mother, Mary, yeah, would have remembered, would, would have didn't remember James that was taken away perhaps even maybe some of that information is taken away and he even because it's almost know, like his entire time at Bordeaux was lost yeah exactly yeah. so he would remember his non-biological father or grandfather as his uncle grandf- as, his, as, his, as his uncle great yeah. uncle yeah. yeah so his he would have known his bio remembered his bio this gets really complicated <laughs> it's not really this difficult especially when you read these no it's but not it's, they it's, do a it's, good job playing it it, it really sets up some intriguing ideas of of how things you know play out later down the road. What's great about the note is it lets everyone have their cake and eat it too. It does. Yeah. If you want him to be the uncle, he's still the uncle, but he can also be the grandfather too. Yep. And that's the best thing about it is that it it it, it takes what could have been a a travesty. Oh yeah. You know, and and bends it in molds it into such a thing that it is a a definite plus because like i said in in my mind it's not so much it's yes we're bending doctor who to fit this book series which i'm sure the purists are going well that's not how that works because doctor who is canon and everything else is, is secondary but in a way it's taking this this immense body of work that i've enjoyed so much and it's lending its credence to this moment in Doctor Who. Right. So that it's not... Contradictory. It's not contradictory. Yeah, it doesn't have to be contradictory. It, it, beca- it becomes one of those, oh, the Eighth Doctor said so-and-so's name, and the you know so now the, all the big Finnish companions are canon. Right, It becomes right. that kind of... It becomes of, that connection. That, really that connection that's like, oh... Especially this, with the line in this about how he told people once he had two kids because they didn't know that he only... That he could only mention one. Right. Right. So, yeah, it, it, it works on that level for me. Yeah. It's very cool. I, I it is. quite enjoyed this. It was I, I read it last night on my dinner break, and I went back, and I, after I got done with it, I thought, wow, that was neat. That was just really, really clever to, to be able to get that little connection now. I love it. Good on you, Andy. I know yes. you're listening. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up on the schedule, new year, um, new new stuff for us to review. There's not much, at least on the classic series, but we have a few episodes left, and we're going to do one of them next week. We are going to take a look at the last Sarah Jane Smith <gasps> that, uh, that we have yet to go, which is Planet of Evil. Um, and it's, it's one that, I'll be honest, I don't know that I remember it. So it, it'll be new I'm to me. Going on a limb that there's a planet and that it's evil. <laughs> Maybe. 
<laughs> if it's on, no guarantees. If, if, it's, if it's as on point as Creature from the Pit, yes. <laughs> I don't think anything can be as on point as Creature from the Pit. I, I, I'm going to laugh myself silly if they land. Where are we? We call it the planet. <laughs> what is that thing? We call evil. it evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's now been completely derailed. So yeah, Planet of Evil. Uh, is our uh, uh, next week's uh, review. I have a little bit more of the schedule put together, but it's not quite ready for prime time, so uh, I'll just leave you with that, and then uh, it'll be posted soon. Excellent. Cool. Keith, where can people lo- uh, locate us? Where can people find us if they want to send f- feedback? I can't talk. I'm located on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> just go to our website, trevinthevortex.com, and you can fill out the Send Us Feedback tab. Or you can send it directly to feedback at travelingthevortex.com. One L, right? Yep. One L. The American, the American spelling. Traveling. Traveling. Uh, or find us on social media. We're I have it on good authority, though, that the two L's is where we separate the men from the boys. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was a, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, and if you want to help support this podcast, you can find a link to Patreon, and uh, all the all of that money that goes into Patreon comes right back into this podcast. We appreciate every bit of it, and we appreciate those already supporting us. If that's going to do it for this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.